you know, I, I just think in the NBA, you, you, you have to really be, one, you have, you know, there are a lot of great players, but in order to separate, separate yourself from those other players that, you know, are drafted high and don't make it, I just think a big part of it is just, it has to be in your blood. It has to become a part of your life, uh, basketball. You have to enjoy, um, you know, all the time and the effort that it takes to be great. We finally got our first NBA player. My man, Wally Zerbiak. As the sixth overall pick in the 1999 NBA draft, Wally knew nothing was guaranteed. He went on to sustain a 10-year career and even was an NBA All-Star. He played with guys at the likes of Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Paul Pierce, and many more. You're not going to want to miss this one. Wally, Wally's world, Wally Zerbiak, the man, the legend, uh, Miami University NBA player. Uh, appreciate you, man, taking some time out of your your busy schedule to join myself and my partner Kyle Decker here on the Underdog Podcast. My pleasure. I'm excited. You know, I love your guys' work, and uh, you know, I love connecting with some Miami alums, and um, love and honor as always, guys. Yeah, no doubt. Love and honor. Love it. I was, I was telling Kyle, you know, there's there's only a handful of people, you know, at Miami or a lot of the mid-major universities where, you know, there's that, they're, they're kind of that upper echelon kind of an elite, you know, where the university's known for, you know, yourself, you know, Ron Harper, you know, John Harbaugh, Roethlisberger, you know, uh, Sean McVay. So it's, it's definitely an honor, man, to, to have you on. Um, and, and to get us kicked off, you know, let's go back to, um, you were obviously uh, a tremendous basketball player. You didn't start playing basketball until the fifth grade um but you went on to become a really really good high school player but you chose the path as we always like to say to bet on yourself and not really go to one of the power five conferences you you chose our alma mater uh miami university which could be you know in our minds an underdog decision to really bet on yourself uh can you take us back to what really went into that decision and why you decided to go that path uh well, you know, I was just talking about this last night on air on CBS Sports Network with Steve Lapis, who at the time was coach at Villanova. And Steve was like, man, why didn't I recruit you? What happened? <laughs> he, just, he was just talking about, you know, they're, 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 you know, back to the recruiting process. It's not an exact science. And I was being recruited by some Power Five conference teams, St. John's, North Carolina State, Iowa, all had a lot of interest, all offered me scholarships. Um, my dad obviously was my basketball mentor. He was a great player in his own right. Played in the ABA, played in the NBA, played 10 years overseas, played for Real Madrid, played for GW. Um, you know, his college basketball career uh, had some battles with Julius Serving. So he, 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 we had a lot of discussions as to where, and he didn't point me in any direction. He just kind of saw me as a player, saw my development. He had, a, had experience himself. And also with some other guys who had uh, one guy, Sergio Luke, who had gone to St. John's, kind of been recruited over, didn't get an opportunity to play the way we thought he deserved to be able to play. And he just didn't want me to make that mistake uh, just to go to a big school um, just because you're going to be on ESPN every night or you're going to be on CBS every week and you're going to get a chance to be on TV. He wanted me to go to a place where it was a very good basketball tradition, which Miami had. It had a great coaching staff, which we now see <laughs> what that coaching staff has become, led by Herb Sendek. Sean Miller was the guy that was at every single one of my AAU games. 
writing me letters every single week. Charlie Coles was writing me letters every week. Bad Mata was writing me letters every week. And we see what that coaching tree has become in the college basketball world. So as a result, Miami was kind of like that school that encompassed everything I wanted. I wanted a great academic school because uh, my dad said, there are no guarantees that you're going to be in the NBA. got to make sure you have a fallback plan and academics is a fallback plan. So Miami was obviously really high up on my list as far as academics. Um, the basketball was great. You know, at the time, the Mid-American Conference was right on the cusp of being a top, you know, six or seven top six, seven, eight, you know, caliber conference uh, with the teams and the players that they were churning out at that time. So I knew I was going to get great basketball coaching and, you know, I was going to get high level and an opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament. Um, and then when I went to campus and did my visit, it was over. You know, yeah. I just fell with the place. You know, Kyle Johnson was my host. Uh, he was great. You know, the team was awesome. I played pickup at the rec center with the guys on my visit. It was, it was late September, so it was fall. Um, it's a great time to be on campus at Miami. And I signed right away. I didn't do any other visits. I just felt like that was the place I wanted to be. I didn't want to be distracted with any other noise. I wanted to make that decision and focus on my senior year in high school. Um, so I signed an early letter of intent with Miami. And I think it worked out great. I think the coaches were awesome that I had. Uh, you know, the way they kind of allowed me to grow as a player – um, they worked with me year after year. I also put in the work, obviously, um, in the off season and during the season, and you know, it couldn't have worked out better. You know, the funny thing is, real quick, because I'm a Miami merger. That's all great, but we got beautiful women at Miami, is that right, Wally? I'm a Miami <laughs> merger, so let's just throw it out there. You know, we're trying to rebuild this program. Come for the academics. Come for the you know this, that, and the other. But we were ranked number three when I was there <laughs> by Playboy for best looking women. I'm just going to throw yeah. that out there as well. Remember those statistics, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you're coming from New York, and you're probably walking through campus in the fall. I was about to say, hey, you came because you went to a football game, but uh, that probably wasn't the case. But, the, uh, yeah, when you walk through Oxford, Ohio, those that don't know, because we have a lot of listeners everywhere, but obviously being based here in Ohio, we have a bunch. Oxford, Ohio is just a special place, period, yeah. end of story. Until you're there, you just don't know. Yeah. And yeah. when you get there, to Wally's point, you just don't want to leave. You don't want to leave, <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, an incredible – and then, as mentioned, the one thing, and, and we can move on to the pro side of things, but you mentioned the physical ability that, you know, those coaches, which is incredible, like you said, Sean Miller, Thad Mata, Herb Sendak, Charlie Coles, and so forth. I know there was more – but you also mentioned one of the, the podcasts I listened, Dan Dalrymple. He had a big impact yeah. on my life and I think on Calvin's life. And, you know, he moved on when we were there to the New Orleans Saints and still there with uh, Coach Sean Payton, another Miami guy. And um, can you tell us a little bit about that development physically? Because I think, as Calvin said before the podcast, how physically, obviously you're 6'7", chiseled, great athlete, but how Miami helped build you into a well-rounded athlete as well. I was about to get to that part of it. And I just said, had, 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 you know, talked about a lot of people and gave you a lot of info in that first answer. So I'm glad you great, you brought up Dan. Uh, he was just tremendous in my development because I think coming into Miami, you know, I had a high skill level and I was a great shooter in high school. You know, I averaged 37 points a game. I was a really good three point shooter. I could score, I could shoot. Um, but the, 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 the thing I needed to do was just, physically mature and physically get stronger and more athletic and Dan's workouts were phenomenal uh, we trained like you guys I mean we trained like the football team 
We did a lot of explosive work. Um, I remember my freshman year when I got there, Herb Sendek's philosophy was more of the run, 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 run the track, run the track, you know, not do as much focus on the weight room. And that was kind of the Rick Pitino style because Rick Pitino wanted to play fast and wanted to outrun teams. But then when Herb left and he went to North Carolina State and Charlie Coles took over coaching, he handed the reins as far as all the off-season training to Coach Dalrymple. And Dal- Coach Dalrymple changed that. And I think it really benefited me because I hated the track. <laughs> like my body is not meant to be just running around the track endlessly. My body is meant to be in a weight room getting stronger and more explosive. So when I catch the ball 10 feet from the basket, I can overpower my defender and dunk on them. And that's exactly what Dale Dan, Dan Dalrymple brought uh, to our training. You know, I just, I just love the guy. You know, he's gone on to great things with the New Orleans Saints. You know, I, I, I love hearing the stories about him. I'd love to reconnect with him. But that jump I made physically, I mean, I came in as a freshman at 210. I left you know, Miami at 245 and at like 4% body fat. And I loved being in the weight room. I really did. And I love, I can remember, uh, you know, some Dan Dalrymple stories. You know, we had that old weight room in Withrow. We didn't have that beautiful weight room that's since been built. Downstairs. Phenomenal. But it was great to just be in that room with him. You know, he would kind of give me a lot of individual attention in the off season. I would try to get in there when, you know, there was nobody around and he would kind of give me personal training workouts and it was just awesome to work with him one-on-one. And I remember when we were doing the bench, he would always say, squeeze it, squeeze it, squeeze it, squeeze it. <laughs> extra few little, you know, those extra few pounds on your back. Um, no, but he was absolutely the best. And, and, and that was a huge part of my development because physically the, the strides that I made um, explosively too and athletically, uh, you know, was the main reason why I just shot up the draft board and was able to be such a high prospect in the NBA. Yeah, so, he, he used to, real quick, I just got to do a Dan Dalrymple story. He, I was on the developmental squad as a freshman in 5 a.m. Friday morning lifts, right? And uh, he'd make us hang by the, the bars <laughs> until you dropped. And, and he played, I'm a real American. And you just, if you dropped, like the first one to drop had to like, it was bad. It was just at five in the morning on a Friday morning. I'll never forget Coach Dalrymple. When I heard squeeze, squeeze, you got that, <laughs> that, that behemoth of a man with a lisp. It's just, we got to have him on the show, man. I just was we got to have Dan so, Dalrymple. He doesn't know anything about Withrow Basement. I was one of the last classes to get to actually experience the Withrow Basement, the dungeon. Okay. Yeah, so he got to, he got to see yeah he got to see the growth I, center and whatnot. So yeah, I just uh, played pickup basketball over at Withrow. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. um, so one thing you talk about, you went on to get drafted uh, sixth overall in the NBA. But one thing you mentioned was when you get drafted to the NBA, you still have a lot of work to do. And you, I think, went through that at Miami of having to come in and prove yourself. But can you talk about, for those of us, there's only 5,000 people. I think I heard Kenny the Jet Smith say a couple weeks ago, there's only 5,000 guys who've ever played in the NBA in the history. So, like, there's a very, very, very small group there. And you've obviously had that experience. But, you know, talk about what has to go in that work ethic and how some of those transferable skills have helped you, you know, into your CBS career, TV career, and what people can maybe take into the business world. That's a great question. And, 
you know, my, my philosophy was, you know, I had achieved a lot in college and I was the sixth pick in the draft, but that was just the starting line. When I got drafted, you know, you have a long career to fulfill and you have a lot of, you know, Flip Saunders, Kevin McHale, you know, they picked me for a reason because they thought I could really help them. Uh, they thought I could be a really good player and have a great career. And I wanted to fulfill that potential that they believed in me. And, um, you know, I, I just think in the NBA, you, you, you have to really be one, you have, you know, there are a lot of great players, but in order to separate, separate yourself from those other players that, you know, are drafted high and don't make it. I just think a big part of it is just, it has to be in your blood. It has to become a part of your life, uh, basketball. You have to enjoy, um, you know, all the time and the effort that it takes to be great. And, you know, you have to put in all the hours, you know, in the training room, in the weight room, you know, just mentally thinking about your opponents, preparing via film and all that stuff, because that's what separates the good players from the great players and the guys that get to the all-star teams and the guys that just, you know, just fizzle out in the league. And, you know, I, I had a, a lot of great influences. James Whitford was another coach who helped me prepare for the draft. He did all my pre-draft training. Um, and he, 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 he taught me, you know, what it takes, you know, in the, in the gym when you're alone and there's nobody around, there's not 20,000 people yelling and screaming when you make a shot. He taught me what it takes in order to put that work in and, uh, you know, the blood, sweat and tears, so to speak, when nobody's watching. And that was a big part of it. And then another guy was my dad. You know, I was lucky, you know, when, when I played a game in the NBA, every time, you know, I finished that game, you know, my first phone call was to my dad and he would just kind of, He'd say, you know, he, first of all, he was so proud of me, you know, for achieving what I had achieved and making that level and playing in the NBA. But he was also say like, you know, these are some things you can work on. This is how you can get better. You know, um, I had, I had some experiences, not quite as many in the NBA, but at a really high level of professional basketball overseas playing for Real Madrid. And this is how, you know, you can make sure you fulfill your dreams and fulfill your potential. So I had a lot of people to help me, but at the same time, you know, you just have to be mentally tough. You know, you, you just, I know it sounds cliche. You just have to be mentally tough because, you know, there are a lot of haters out there. You know, um, I didn't play in the Twitter era or the Instagram era and stuff like that, but I don't think that would have affected me. I, I just have a, I just have a, a, an ability to kind of just block out all the noise and just do what I need to do. And I think that's really helped me in my career after basketball. Also, um, you know, going into media, I try to be fair um, I try to just, you know, use my experiences and relay that to fans. I try to simplify the game. I think that's the biggest thing, uh, why my career was kind of successful. You know, I, I had a lot of talents and, and, and I was a pretty good shooter. So I didn't try to kind of get out of that box and be something that I really wasn't. Um, I just tried to, you know, just be a great teammate. I tried to follow the lead of my coaches. I tried to be coachable because they're great coaches in the NBA. And if you listen to them, you know, Flip Saunders and Kevin McHale, Kevin McHale's a Hall of Famer, and Flip Saunders is one of the greatest coaches, you know, rest in peace. Uh -huh. uh, follow their lead, and they really helped me achieve a lot. And I thank those guys, and, and, and I'm very grateful for the teaching that they gave me. So I've had great people to help elevate me, great teammates to help elevate me, get to where I, you know, what I achieved. And it continues in, my, in the media business. You know, I, I love what I do. I love the people I work with. You know, at CBS, so all the guys are great. They really are. Seth Davis, Clark Kellogg, 
Adam Zucker, Steve Lapis, John Rothstein, Brent Stover, now Ryan Hollins, you know, the list goes on, the team pleads, the list goes on and on. And then, you know, in the NBA, working with Mike Green, the voice of the NBA, Kenny Albert, uh, Clyde Frazier, a Hall of Famer, Alan Hahn, Bill Pito, you know, we just have a great crew to work with, which makes my job really easy. And I'm very grateful to people that have helped elevate me to the heights that I've been very lucky to achieve. Yeah, those are legendary names. Incredible. Now you're hanging out with Black and Decker here. So <laughs> now right. you just you, guys to the list. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like, he'll, he'll where, mention, where are we at? He'll mention us on the next episode. <laughs> well, I can tell you, your father, Walter, the one night he he had to be proud of you is when you were an all star and you outscored Michael Jordan in like 12 minutes in his last all star game. I did not know that, but I was doing my that pre search. I said that is one cool stat that. That Wally, when he was a, an all-star, outscored Michael Jordan. So your dad could not be upset about that night, I tell you that much. Oh, that was an awesome day. It really was an awesome night. Um, you know, obviously my career got off to a good start. First year I made the first team all-rookie team. Second year I, I was MVP of the rookie sophomore challenge. And then third year I was a, an all-star. Um, and then I continued to have a very, very good career after that. A couple injuries just nicked me up here and there but I wouldn't change a thing and I'm very grateful for everything that happened. But that all-star game was one of the highlights, no question, individually. You know, obviously I'm all about team success and, you know, team success, making the playoffs seven of my 10 years in the NBA, making the Eastern and Western Conference Finals is, is, is the one thing I really hang my hat on. Just came a little bit short to getting a championship. That's one thing I always wanted to achieve, but not all players can accomplish that. And I've kind of come to terms with that. But that all-star game was a lot of fun. You know, beating the uh, beating the East. You know, being on the West. Kobe Bryant winning the MVP. Having those laughs with Shaq, Kobe, KG. Um, you know, Dirk. You know, Steve Nash. All the guys that were on that team. That was really a lot of fun playing in that game. I want to ask a question. You just talking. It's a <clears throat> it's a basketball question, but I think it kind of talks about preparation and, and focus and whatnot. You know, being able to make it to you know to the end to the NBA playoffs. You always hear as a basketball fan how much different the NBA playoffs are than the regular season because of, you know, preparation and then obviously you're playing against great competition, you're playing against each other, you know, night out of night after night for seven games. What makes the playoffs different, a different level of basketball versus the versus the regular season? Well, you know, you know, it's, I'll, I'll give you some insight. Like in college, you can prepare a lot more from game to game for your opponent because, you know, back when I was playing, you, we played on pretty much Wednesdays and Saturdays. That was kind of our routine. So you had two to three days to really go over the team's play. Once you get to the NBA, it, you don't have as much time to prepare. Now the coaches are amazing and they're going to throw a lot of stuff at you on a daily basis. And when you have a back to back, you're going to do a shoot around and a walkthrough in a ballroom of a, of a Ritz-Carlton hotel to prepare, but you just don't have the amount of, you know, brain capacity and time to absorb, you know, every team's play because you're playing so many games. Once you get to the playoffs, completely different story. You're playing the same team for possibly seven games, and you have a day in between at least, sometimes two in between at least to prepare. So we used to get binders that were this big on each team and then we used to get a DVD of about 10 to 15 minutes of specific plays of each player on that team. And then you would break up into individual meetings, guards, bigs, who you're going to be guarding, you know, and, and this and that. So you can really prepare for each individual team and each individual player that you're going to be matched up against when you get into the playoffs. Um, and that, that was awesome. 
I mean, the amount of coaching, the amount of scouting, and the amount of preparation that was done, it goes from the regular season where you're here to the postseason where it's way up here. And the intensity ratchets up, you know, twofold. And uh, that's why the NBA playoffs are just so much fun. It was awesome to be a part of. You know, I had some great matchups with, you know, the Spurs in their prime when they were winning NBA championships with Ginobili, Parker, and Duncan. Then Shaq and Kobe beat us twice in the Western Conference Finals. Then we lost to, you know, the Portland Trailblazers with Wallace and Pippen and, and you know, that those great teams, you know, that were battling with the Lakers. So, you know, the, the NBA playoffs are, are, are big time, big time competitive times for me when I remember back in the glory days when, when, it, when it was really good basketball. That's where that work and preparation comes in. Yeah, and is there anything else, Wally? Like, we try to give knowledge nuggets, and you talked about preparation, what we just talked about, but, like, going back from, we looked at your body of work from high school to the pros and even to what you're doing now broadcasting, but you were the 10 seed at Miami, beat Washington, I believe, and then Utah, right? And then you go into the NBA, and you're an all-star, and you have a 10-year career, which is fantastic, a decade at the highest level. What is there anything else that you could recommend to someone? Because this is we try to have a group of people that overcome adversity to have success. I know you had some knee problems, right? And a couple yeah. surgeries. What what also goes into where you could say, hey, you know, there is no magic pill, right, to success. But is there anything else outside of preparation or work ethic that you could mention to someone here listening? Well, the biggest thing, and and when you get into the NBA, especially at a young age, you have to have your life off the court in order. And that's one thing I was very lucky to have. Um, You know, I had a great family life, uh, great kids, you know, throughout my career when I was playing in the NBA. And, you know, when you have that tough game and, you know, it's really bugging you and then you come home and you got your little kids waiting for you and they don't care what you shot, they don't care if you won or lost, and you just have that kind of distraction that kind of calms you as a person. Uh, that was very, very helpful to me because, you know, in order, a lot of athletes, in order to accomplish what they accomplished to make it to the level that, you know, uh, the professional lever, you, 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 you got a little, you're a little screwed up, <laughs> a little bit mentally. <laughs> you, know, you know, a lot of athletes are not ordinary people in order to just be able to compartmentalize and focus and just do so much work in, in, in order to achieve what it, what it takes to make it to that level um, that, you know, when you have a support system that understands that, you know, it's a, it's a big sacrifice, you know, most teams are playing on Christmas day and they're away from their families and how many other professions, you know, is that the case? You know, there's a lot of sacrifices that your family has to make. So, you know, the fact that I had a, a family that was very understanding of that, that, that really, you know, picked me up when I was down and, and that was a comfort for me, you know, um, you know, when you have those good times and the bad times, no matter what, they're always there for you. I think that's a huge part of longevity in, in a professional type setting. And that's in any career. Yep. It really is. Uh, because when you have distractions away from your career or your business, it, it definitely affects your effectiveness and your success. So I'm just very thankful that, you know, I had zero distractions off the court. Um, I always had a comfort level with my family off the court. And I think that really helped me get through the tough times, the injuries, the surgeries, the rehabs, um, to be able to keep, you know, just keep plugging away and just keep going uh, when times were tough. Yeah, and you think about we when we listen to a lot of our guests, the 
sustaining excellence, right? What Wally is, what I'm hearing is that, you know, the consistency off the court, right? Which is fantastic. And uh, another question I have is, in my opinion, you're one of the best shooters I've ever seen uh, any level. Um, and that's a huge, like you said, a mental approach. Just out of curiosity, like what are some maybe some s- simple, because we have someone in Major League Baseball, sometimes you just got to dummify things and keep it simple, yeah. see ball, hit ball. From a shooting and basketball perspective, is there, is that, you know, once you have the repetition down, like is it better off sometimes not to think through technique? I Just out of curiosity, being such a good shooter, how are you able to mentally you know, I guess be in a relaxed state in just a focused state? Well, luckily, you know, I never had to really think technique. And, you know, coaches, I often see nowadays coaches trying to change guys' shots and I cringe because mm-hmm. that can just go completely south. And, you know, for me, my technique was good, so it was all a mental game. And I used to try to challenge myself mentally when I practiced. Um, I never was the kind of guy who just got a thousand shots up in a day. I just thought that was useless practice. I always used to try to challenge myself after practice. I got to make 53 and I want to make it in 60 shots and I'm not going to leave the gym until I do that. So it made me challenge myself to practice effectively and not just be out there for hours and hours and hours. Um, just beating your head against the wall pretty much. And that worked for me, you know, different people, have different strategies that work for them. I just always used to like to challenge myself mentally to be as efficient as possible. That was my challenge as a player. I, 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 I wanted to be one of those 50, 40, 90 guys that shot 50% from the floor, 40% from three, and 90% from the line. That was always my goal. That was my bar. And you know, in order to do that too, you have to take good shots. You can't just be chucking up shots one-on-one fading away you know that aren't high percentage shots because that hurts your team when you're not taking good good shots and being an efficient player so that was always my challenge that's always what my coaches wanted me to do they wanted me to be a high percentage shooter and uh, I practiced that way and I tried to go out and carry that to a game and always take good high percentage shots that weren't going to hurt the team and just kind of be a chucker did you ever hit a hundred like a hundred in a row like uh like Steph? <laughs> Listen, Steph is the greatest shooter of all time. I guys saying I'm up there with some of the greats, but the stuff that the guys are doing nowadays and, and, and shooting that they do, like you know, for me, a three point shot wasn't you know they, they weren't as prevalent as they are now. I mean, when you look at my career, I only made one three per game average. And I averaged 14 points. So 11 of my points of my career average were coming from the free throw line, were coming inside the arc. Today, I would have shot a lot more threes because it's encouraged. You know, back when I played, the first thing you wanted to do is get the ball into the post, especially Kevin Garnett. Get him the ball, have him break down the defense, then he sprays it out to the shooters, and uh, that's when you get your threes. Nowadays, guys are shooting through 30 feet, 40 feet, step back, off screen, fading away. I mean, the shooting that's going on nowadays is incredible. I think it would have really benefited me because it would have encouraged me to get into more of a rhythm and shoot more threes because I was always a believer that the more more shots you got up at a certain range, the more you could lock in and get into a rhythm where you make those five, six in a row. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't change anything the way, the way my career went. I love the way it went. And I also prided myself on not just being a three-point shooter. I wanted to be a guy that had to be guarded all over the floor and wasn't wasn't just a one-trick pony where I was just out there to shoot threes and that's it. 
you know, my dad always taught me to do a lot of other things out there on the floor and not just be a three-point shooter. Well, I can tell you, I just got to get this in here. As being a Cavs fan, as at Miami, there's a bunch of us Cleveland Cavs fan, man. When you guys made that run to the Eastern Conference Finals, one of your last years, you were just getting buckets, man. We were we were at Brick Street or, or one of the bars just having a – football we already was over. Graduate, hell no, we weren't sober. Um, <laughs> and we were we were loving Wally, man. It was like Wally's the world. Cavs were on the run. Wally's draining. It was it was a good time. So thank you for that. Let's get the um, let's get some rapid fires in. I think we got some great – so we always do rapid fire at the end. Uh, I know we're, we're at about 25 minutes or so, but I, I think we have some – I think we have some – good rapid fires personally um that i definitely want want to ask Uh, hold on i got got the first one i'm gonna interject here okay Okay. wally who what hold on you gotta turn and look at the camera what (laughs) nba player former nba player does this guy look like does he look like anyone in particular Chauncey Billups. oh spot that was my guy too yeah i knew i knew that uh you know, still Chauncey's killing it on TV too. He's, he's he's an awesome dude. Just just one of my favorite teammates of all time. Uh, and there's a stark resemblance for sure. I, I I I when he was with the Pistons, man, and they were going on those runs, I was getting stopped. I got stopped at the Kentucky <laughs> Derby. Hey, are you Chauncey <laughs> Billups? I'm like, eh, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I had a playoff game last night. If I were, <laughs> um, so. I have to ask this because you don't get to talk to NBA players very much. And Kobe was was my guy. was one of my favorite players. Um, and I know you guys have done a lot of talking about just your, your, your times with Kobe and competing against him. But I wanted to be selfish and ask you, um, can you share maybe one of those competitive stories or something, a moment that you've had with Kobe that, that has stuck out, you know, in your mind, you know, since, since, things have, uh, since what happened last year? Yeah, you know, I've been talking about this, and that hit me really hard when it happened last year. We had to be on air with MSG, and I, I, I kind of choked up on air because, you know, we had a lot of battles against each other, and I remember Kofi had a lot of respect for me as I did for him. And I remember there was, you know, just some times in the media where we would be going, you know, back and forth, all complimentary stuff. And Kobe said, he basically said, you know, Wally can play on my team anytime. I mean, he, that's my kind of guy. And I think we thought a lot alike. You know, we were ultimate competitors. It was pretty much all about basketball. We loved the game, um, you know, first and foremost. And, you know, the best story I think I have is when I played on the Austin team with him and I got to know him as a teammate. And mm-hmm. that was awesome. And, you know, he went out there and he told all the guys, he's like, this is my hometown. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it today. And, you know, lo and behold, he got the MVP. And, you know, he brought home the win for the Western Conference team. And, you know, I don't know if you guys knew this, but if you win the All-Star game, you get a little, a, a few more squids. You get a little more cheddar if you're <laughs> on the green team. So, uh, you know, I thank Kobe for that, um, for going out there and help getting us to win in that All-Star game. Awesome. Great awesome. story. Great story. Um, speaking of players you played with, common commonality, if you can, thread between these guys. Uh, I know Kevin Durant, Kevin Garnett, LeBron James and who else am I forgetting here? Some some you had a lot of monsters you played with. Um, Paul, Pierce. Paul Pierce, sorry, Paul. yeah, Paul Pierce. With those four, what is maybe a, a, a common thread between the four of them? Uh, future Hall of Famers. I think <laughs> right. that's, yeah, future definitely Hall of Famers. First ballot. You know, I think you can say that about those guys. Um, you know, all perennial All Stars, obviously. You know, you know, 
I, I, I think, you know, I'll take uh, out Kevin Garnett. You know, we had our issues off the floor. I think the other three, you know, I got along with great off, um, off the floor also. You know, just the ultimate competitors, though, as far as teammates. Um, you know, it was a lot of fun playing with those guys. You know, uh, we brought out excellence in each other. Um, and just guys that are going to be, you know, known as the all-time greats. And it was great to, play, great to have an opportunity to play with them. Yeah, no doubt. I got three more. Yep. First Fire one. Away. What's the origin of Wally's world? Because I saw Coach Charlie Coles. I got the I got the coach. Um, you played with Chris McGuire as my cousin. So Charlie Coles always referenced me, you know, asked me how Chris was doing. When I was at school. But I noticed he always called you world. <laughs> so where did the name Wally's world come from? Or when did you first uh, hear it? I think it came from, you know, obviously the uh, National Lampoons was kind of like, you know, yeah. coined it. You know, going to Wally's World to go on the amusement park rides and stuff like that. And then I just think in college, you know, it just, you know, started up. And, you know, then with that run senior year, you know, Miami just made all those T-shirts. They had the moose <laughs> on the T-shirts and stuff like that. And it's, it just caught on. And, you know, I think my agent at the time when I was going into the NBA, he kind of started pushing that a little bit. And I remember Jim Nance on national TV on CBS when we beat um, and I got that block against Washington. He said, it's Wally's world. Welcome to it. You know, that was kind of one of the first point phrase, phrases nationally. And I just think it took off from there. But I agree. Charlie Coles was the originator of it. And he used to call me world in practice all the time. And, you know, then actually KG and my teammates in, uh, in Minnesota, they continued with that nickname. He used to call me world. Awesome. That's awesome. Great. Um, so Sean Marion describes your NBA draft workout and said he took his shirt off and shot all jumpers. That was it. <laughs> what the was Matrix, behind, what the was Matrix bringing heat. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, just... The Matrix. He was my guy. You know, we had a great draft class. Listen, I couldn't jump like him, so I had to accentuate what I could do. All right. Now, shooting was my strength. You know, I put a lot of time in the weight room, thanks to Dan Dowler. It was hot in the gym up in Chicago. I think it was in the middle of the summer or whenever it was. So I also did a lot of other stuff. You know, I wanted to show that, you know, I wasn't just a jump shooter, that I was a pretty good athlete. So, um, you know, I was doing a lot of stuff. I remember with Sean, I don't remember if we matched up one-on-one -on -one in any of our uh, pre-draft workouts. I remember I had a good one with Ron Artest and with James Posey when, we, when I worked out with the Timberwolves and we were going at it playing one-on-one, -on -one, you know, playing, you know, doing a lot of drills against each other. And that was a lot of fun to kind of compete in your workout and not just be out there by yourself. Um, so, you know, Matrix was my guy, and he had a great NBA career. Too. Can you imagine if I could have had a tight end like Wally Zerbiak? Like you talk uh, yeah. about like Antonio Gates. Like, man, well, it would have been great having Wally at a tight end for Miami University. Imagine that. That would be woo, yeah. wide him out. You know, it would be. You'd have been right after Ben. Yeah. yeah I would Maybe would have <laughs> played then. He would have made me look good. All right, last question. Should I, should I go? Yeah. All yeah. right. So we asked this question at the end of each episode. So when you answer this question, you have to be, you have to agree and be willing to help us make it happen. Okay. All right. Who should we have as a guest on the Underdog Podcast? Who should we have as a guest? Underdog podcast. You want a big one, right? Does it need Miami ties? Hmm. No, no. Any, and anybody? Should I give him the knowledge nugget yet, or should I wait till he, till he answers? Hold no, on, hold on. Let me think about this. Okay. Should okay. Have a tie to Miami. 
I can make it happen. Hmm. Have you gotten Ron Harper yet? So his brother lives two houses down from my mom, and I have I can't get it. Really? Yes. You know, I I know Ron a little bit through golf circles around here. Um, you know, we played Manhattan Woods a little bit together, and I think if you could add to Miami basketball greatness and get the all-time leading scorer, um, I think that would be a nice addition. I'd love to try to make that happen. Yeah, so we've had now Ron Hunter. Yep. Now Wally. Yep. Now we need Ron uh, Ron Harper. Harper. Yep. Yep. So, so yeah, we'd love that. So I'm going to end with this. We're considering changing the podcast to CBS Takeover. So little do you know, we recently just had, we recorded with Clark Kellogg two weeks ago. Nice. Now we got you, and you go. Clark actually said, um, we asked him the question, he said we should get James Brown and Charles Barkley. So we have their contact information, we've reached out, haven't heard back yet, so I don't know if you're going to see those guys in the studio in March Madness or anything, but uh, if you want to drop a nugget and tell them, hey... She hop on the underdog podcast. It'd be greatly appreciated as well. But yeah, no, Ron Harper, 100% Dayton guy. I'm from Dayton. He was at Miami when my brother-in-law was running track there. So we'd love to have Ron Harper on for sure. Beautiful. Love it. So, well, we appreciate everything you do for Miami. Um, you know, the, this, the, what you've done in general, you know, just a great example for anyone, at least me growing up watching you play. Like I said, you grinded grit and just, uh, Appreciated everything you're doing uh, in in the in the environment as well in this world where there's so much chaos. Yeah. Great great consistency. We appreciate Wally Zerbiak for sure, and, and uh, your time today is very much appreciated. Thank you, Wally. My pleasure, guys. And, it was and, a lot of fun. and I'll say this: I say, and I'll, I'll end on this too. You know, I um, just when I committed to Miami, it was a couple. You had you had been gone for two years, but like you definitely had influence on my decision to go there, which I think was one of the best decisions I've ever made because of what you had done and, you know, what, what, where the school was at the time. So, you know, again, thank you for that, for, for your efforts and hard work of, of putting mock Miami and Oxford uh, on the map, man. So appreciate it, man. My pleasure. It's a great place. Love and honor always. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I appreciate it.